All righty, guys. Well, you know, uh, I don't mean to say the drill because it's not a drill. It's, it's a privilege. So you know the privilege of turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 as we continue um, in our series on the, on the book of Acts. Uh, we are currently in this section titled The Power in Jerusalem. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to finish chapter 4 and then we're going to start in chapter 5. Now, before we actually read the scripture. I want, this, I want this on the forefront of your mind as we read the scripture. As you read this section of, of scripture today, I want to make a statement to you, and you can't prove me wrong, um, and not that you would, but I believe this passage of scripture right here in this current situation is probably the gold standard for what church life should be it didn't last long unfortunately because in chapter 5 we're going to see how sin uh, sin crept in to the equation of the church but just for a moment at the latter part of acts chapter 4 we see the prime example of what god's desire is for his church so, it's a standard that we hope to achieve, but it's one of those moments in time where you see the plan of God for how the church should be. This is what the church should look like. This is what it should be. So with that in mind, let's stand together. Roman, I'm, I'm sorry, not Romans. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. We'll read verses 32 through 37. So notice what I'm talking about, the gold standard, meaning it's not perfection, but it's as close as you can get as to the model church in the New Testament, at least for a moment in time. It says here in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. In some versions it says they were in one accord. They had unity. They were together. They were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for power in action. Numerous times in this passage, we see the word power or powerful, and we see the results of it. And we see how good it is for people in the church. So help us, Lord, to see the deep truths in this passage Apply it to our personal lives and also to our collective lives as a church family. 
And I prayed in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So I want to give you today four main points about what we see power in action. When, you know, we can talk about being powerful, powerful for God in our lives, to be powerfully strengthened to overcome temptation, to see God move in a mighty way, answering prayers, to see God changing people's lives in a powerful way. We saw that demonstration today in baptism. What you saw today was the demonstration of of what had already taken place, where two people, various points in life, different ages, two men, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They came to a place where they wanted to commit themselves to Christ and His way. That's that's a demonstrated, powerful life change that takes place. And those men today, just like every one of us who have passed through the waters of baptism, were declaring their allegiance to Christ, their commitment and dedication to His way, to His will, to Him. It it was the public coming out, if you will, of saying, I'm a Christian, I'm unashamed, I'm declaring my life to be a Christian and, and, and identifying with Christ, His church, and so forth and so on. Those are powerful things. And when you see spiritual powerful things happen, you see them in action in people's lives, you know that God is working. It's not superficial. It's not artificial. It's not man-made. It's supernatural. And unfortunately, today we have a lot of churches that are are pre-programmed by man. They are designed to tickle the ears of people. They are designed not to offend anybody. It's a man-made religion. In other words, it's man's attempt to so-called please God and other men. But that's not what was happening here. What was happening was spiritually organic. God was doing a mighty work in their lives, and it was palatable, and it was, it, you could see it. So it was actionable. It was happening in their lives. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Power in action. What does it look like? Well, first of all, I want you to notice the power of oneness. The power of oneness. The power of unity. In verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. There's power in cohesiveness. There's power in unity. When a man and a woman... Stand up before a pastor, a congregation, uh, a judge, however it might be. And they declare sole allegiance to each other in marriage. And the Bible says that the two have become one. Not just physically, not just intimately, but spiritually. They are one. They're an autonomous home under God. And there is unity. And the Bible says uh, how blessed it is and how wonderful it is for people to dwell together in unity. There's power in that. There's peace in that. 
There's satisfaction in that. The opposite of that is disunity, being disjointed, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, nobody working together. And it's amazing. So if two people in holy matrimony can become one in that way, in that glorious thing, and, and, and have powerful, a powerful uh, uh, life experience together, think about what a group of people in a church under the banner of, of, of of brothers and sisters in Christ coming together, being of one mind and of one heart. It doesn't say that we all have to agree on everything and that we all have to like everything. You know, it's amazing. We were just talking about this. Uh, I was talking about this with Jay earlier and his family. Um, they walked in my office and saw all the deer heads and went, wow. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. And we have on Thursdays, we have uh, classical conversations, the local homeschool organization and group that meet here and it I mean it's it's a full school day and there's so many kids and it's 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 noisy here I, I tell you I learned early on do not plan to do your soul sermon preparation on Thursday at the church building because it ain't going to happen there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of things going on. And a lot of times, I like that. And so I'll have my door open when I come in. There are other times I want peace and quiet, and I have lots of days to get those, those times in. But on that, on that particular day, we know what it's going to be like, and it's awesome, and it's great. And all these kids are there. And this, you know, so early on, when I set my office up like that with those deer heads in there, some kids were walking by, and all of a sudden I heard, Dude, did you see that? That's awesome. And it was two little boys that were looking in there, and I went, Hey, boys, how you doing? I had some. Then, this happened one time, I had a little girl come by, and she goes, Man, did y'all see the pastor's office? That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I went, That's a country girl right there. <laughs> then we had some that said, Oh, you saw that in the preacher's office? He likes to kill things. Yeah, they're talking as though I'm not even there. And it's the cutest little thing. It's awesome. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> you know, to see all of that happening together and to see what God is, is doing. So the point that I'm, that I'm making is that not everybody in this church likes hunting. And you're like, I wish I went to a church that had a pastor that, 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 that recited poems instead. Okay, your next pastor can do that. You don't have to like the same things I like. You don't have to enjoy the same things I enjoy. It's okay. And it's not wrong. You know? And you're like, well, pastor, I wouldn't want to deer hunt. I would want to be a photographer and take pictures of them. Well, 99% of the time, that's what I do. But we don't have to have all the same. Look, Penny and I have been happily married. We're 20, 23, so odd years, so it's 38. It's going to be 39, 30. 1984, somebody help me with the years. Hey, hey, it's, it's been a It's going to be 39 here this year? 39 this year. 39. I hope my kids do something real nice for us and send us off somewhere. We'll see. Anyway. <clears throat> hope you all watching. 39 years. She's always cold. I'm always hot. She likes Hallmark movies. I can't stand them. 
I want to watch violence on TV. When I say violence, I'm talking about football. That kind of violence. Legal violence, okay? Not, not illegal violence. Um, I love sitting in the coldest weather you can think of hunting with 400 pounds of clothes on. That would be like dying and going to hell for her. We're opposite in so many directions, in so many ways. We're actually the opposite of the average husband and wife situation. I'm the talker, she's the quiet one. When she gets quiet, you know she's contemplating a whole bunch of ways to kill me. They asked Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, one time, Ruth, have you ever thought about divorce? She goes, never. Murder? Several times. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding, all right? It's all, we're just joking, okay? But we're different in so many ways. But it doesn't become an issue for us most of the time, you know? She comes from a family that they believe if you sweep it under the rug, it's as though it never happened and it will go away. I come from a family, we, we fight it out. Get out in the yard and get it all out of your system and then, then whatever, you know. I'm not saying either one of them's right. I'm just telling you, that's, that's two people totally opposite in so many directions. Why, were, why have we been able to stay married almost 39 years now? I'll tell you why. Because we have oneness of heart, soul, and mind. We are Christians and we are committed to the things of God. Those are the things that unite us. And it keeps us together, and it does more than keep, keeps us together. It allows us to flourish as, 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 as husband and wife. And the same thing for a church. A church that is one, that is together. We have unity. We have oneness. Look at what was happening with, this, with the early Jerusalem church here. All the believers were of one heart and of one mind. They understood it together. They understood why they were here. Okay? I'm going to give you a second thing. Power in action. When you have power in action, you have the power to share the gospel. Okay? Verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have power to share the gospel. I was talking to Sunday school class today and saying to them, Look, if you ever have a need, you, you have a friend, you have a family member, somebody that you're wanting to, you know, they're ready to receive Christ and you need my help, I'd be more than happy to help you. But, but let me just say this. You don't need me to do that. You're equipped to do it. You're better equipped because you know them better. And you know the circumstances and situations. In other words, you have the power of God to share the gospel. To share the good news of how Jesus changed your heart and life. And this early church was marked not only by unity, but by great power, great boldness. And they continued, in spite of the threats, to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When they were told, don't you mention his name, don't you speak in his name anymore. And they said, we don't know what, what you're going to do, but as for us, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. And so they had great power and great boldness. These were ordinary people, ordinary men. They were not well politically connected. They didn't have all the, the, the powers of, and of government and things behind them. They just spoke and spoke and spoke and testified full of boldness. 
<clears throat> you can go and look this up. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm going to. So First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, put out a statement on what they believe the Bible to teach about biblical sexuality. It's a short statement. It's not long. It's, it's what every Christian church should believe. Well, the local community around there had gone absolutely ape, calling them every name in the book and all of that. So now I think tonight... First Baptist Church is having an open mic and open discussion for the community to come and speak to that. And again, I, I'm, I don't know all the workings and all of that behind that, but if I'm the pastor there, I, I, we're not having that. The truth is not up for discussion in that way. Now, if you want to come have a cup of coffee and us talk about our belief system and, and not yell at each other and all of that, we, we can do that. But I'm... I, we're told to share the gospel with boldness. We shouldn't be afraid to speak the truth. And it's going to offend people in sin. I can tell you this. When I was being presented with the gospel, it offended me. I didn't like it. I didn't like what it said because, because it revealed to me that I couldn't save myself. And I thought I was a pretty good dude. And so this gospel was offensive to people, but they shared it with boldness. Well, I actually jumped to number three, y'all. Did y'all did y'all realize that? Well, I, bless you for letting me just rant and rave and go on. But now I'm all discombobulated because I got out of turn. So let's go to number two, which is number three, but it's supposed to be number two. So number two, which is actually number three in reality, is the power to overcome selfishness. I was wondering, because I got into that and went, wait a minute, there was another one that had... Okay, so here we are. Welcome to the pastor of Jonesville Baptist. Okay, the power to overcome selfishness. Look at this. So it says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Verse 34 through 37 talk about people selling land and homes and laying it at the apostles feet the thing you got to keep in mind is you got to understand the circumstances that were there all these people were in jerusalem they were from various regions the day of pentecost had happened the church was was established and this was nothing like they had experienced in their lives so people weren't going home and so they had needs you know, they're like refugees for a while. And eventually, God moved them out of Jerusalem and they were able to go to their homes and begin to share the gospel in the uttermost parts of the earth. But at this point in time, there were some real needs. Needs of food and other things. And so, those who had means helped meet a need. It reveals that as Christians, we're not here to hoard up a whole bunch of things for ourselves just for me, myself, and I. And what we have should be shared at times. From time to time, certain things that we have. Listen, one commentator said, you know, this is perfect communism. This is what communism in its in its bare minimum would want to be but the problem with communism is that people have to run it and what happens with people is they get drunk on power and then they abuse other people 
and so forth and so on. And the other thing with communism, true communism, is it is compulsory. At the barrel of a gun, you must do this and give to somebody else. But that's not what was happening here. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So what you see here, the overlying principle about this giving, before we get into anything about the giving, is there is an absence of selfishness. Mine. What's one of the first words that children learn? Mine. Mine. I mean, as a grandfather, and I can see it a little, a little bit more clearly now, and as my grandkids, you know, sort of saying their first words and got their first toys and all that, and they were like, mine, mine, and I'm like, uh-uh, it's mine, I bought it. If you want to play the mine game, it's mine. Mine. It's in the heart of all of us to be selfish in that way. The power to overcome selfishness, all right? I gave you number three, and I'm going to give you number four, and then we're going to, we're going to uh, end with a, with a few little uh, wrap-up points here. Number four, the power of God's grace at work in them. Power in action. It says here, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. There were no needy persons among them. <clears throat> the power of God's grace at work in them. When we think of God's grace, we're thinking of what God does and what is God's grace okay let me define it for you as simple as I can God's grace is God giving you and me what we don't deserve that's as simple as I can make it so let me let me help you understand it even more it's the word when you throw in the word mercy so grace is God giving you giving you what you don't deserve mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve See the difference? Grace is unmerited favor. You cannot earn God's grace. Grace is part of the attribute of God that's given to us freely. It's a glorious gift. He gives us His beautiful grace. We get forgiveness. We get Christ as our Savior. We get this thing called the Christian life. We have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. All because of God's amazing grace and what you see here in this passage is this is not just testifying about god's grace but it says here and god's grace was so powerfully at work in them so it's one thing for you and me to see god's grace and they experience god's grace and to have his unmerited favor but it's another thing to see god's grace being given through other people and that's the heart of the gospel that's the heart of church life is that you are an agent you are a minister of the gospel you're an agent of christ uh, you are an ambassador the bible says and not only do we want people to have god's grace but god wants to use you to help deliver that grace do you understand the difference there and that's the model church where people are being used of god and and others are recipients of the true grace of God that's coming through other people. I wish I could explain it better, but that's, that's what I got. Now, let me give you these things here. So, when you see grace at work, here's what you get. What you get. No egos. 
You don't see any egos. Can you put that up, y'all? Did I give you that? After point four? There we go. No egos. Did I spell that right? Because I was thinking of uh, like the waffle thing, you know, ego, let go of my ego and all that. I was like, am I spelling this right? No egos. You know what plagues many churches? Turf wars. Egomaniacs. It's the little Nazis that run um, um, homeowners associations sometimes. Get a little bit of power and they think that they're, they're drunk with power. And it goes to their head, their egos, and, and, and their egomaniacs. And you know what? We're, we're, not, we're not immune to that. It can happen to us. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we have turf wars in church. And it, it's disgusting and it should never happen. This is not my church. I don't own it. This is God's church. Now, I'm responsible for what happens in this pulpit. I'm responsible for, I'm an overseer, as the Bible says. I have a role, but it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. Yeah. It's not your children's ministry. It's not your youth ministry. It's not your, your Sunday school class. It's God's. You're, you're a... You're maintaining it. You, you are a, um, a servant, um, a manager of all that God has given us. You see in this passage, you don't see any egos at all. It's not your kitchen. It's not your fellowship hall. It's not your pulpit. It's not your office. It's all God's, correct? It's not your music ministry. It's not your... Whatever. And and I'm not trying to call out anybody. I'm just talking about what we all experience in church life sometimes. It's not your ministry. It's God's. So no egos. When grace is at work and grace is working through you, you're just like God. You're giving. Secondly, there are no divisions. There are no divisions. All All the believers were of one heart and one mind. They weren't divided. Weren't divided. You know, those of us who love college football, I don't know about you, but man, I'm concerned about where it's going. Heck, I tell you, high school football is where it started. The transfer portal was Florida High School created first. You realize that, right? Kids can transfer and go. They can play football for one school, leave and go and go play uh, soccer for the next, leave and go and go play baseball for the next school. and They can do that in, in one given year, right? The transfer portal started in high school. Yeah, <laughs> that's where they belong. I know that. I know that story, brother. And you think about it. How can you ever have a cohesive team if at any given moment just everybody just gets upset because their ego isn't isn't properly stroked? You know, some parent gets mad. This and that, and so they're always moving around. I remember when I was in school, you went to one school. And if your coach was the meanest guy on the face of the earth, you know what my mom and daddy told me? Don't play then. You got one of two choices. Play or don't play. Do what he says or don't do what he says. Don't come home whining to me. There were no divisions. You say, well, you know, this is New Testament church. It wasn't long after this a division started. 
I mean, a, a whole book was written to, and dealt with that in 1 Corinthians. Some were identifying with this person. Others were identifying with that person. Paul rebuked him and said, man, it's all God. God gives the increase. What are we doing here? No divisions. Thirdly, there was no compulsive giving. I mentioned this now, and I did it strategically throughout the message. I used the word compulsive. There was no compulsive giving. Nobody was forced to give anything. I hear people say this all the time. You know, all they want at church is money. Well, let me ask you this. When you go to Publix, is that what you say? Now, I know what I say recently. I'm like, good golly, they're proud of this stuff. I mean, I want to take eggs and wrap them in gold because they're so expensive. And like golden eggs and just look at them and go, hmm. But no, you go there, right? You go to the doctor, it costs a lot of money to go to the doctor. And you don't go, I ain't never going to the doctor. All they, are, all they want is money. Huh? Of course, I'm leaning to that. Well, never mind, I'm just kidding. But no, you go because you have a need and whatever. Well, you see, a true church, you can never outgive God and any pastor, I'm, I'm not afraid to challenge people to give. I just don't talk about it as much because I believe it's more of a heart issue than a compulsory issue. I think if your heart's right with God, you shouldn't have to be convinced to give. All you need to know is be aware of the need, and if the opportunity's there, and if God lays it on your heart, and it's something you need to do, you give. That's, that's between you and God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells me that God owns everything that I have. Who am I to tell God that I can't use it for His glory somewhere? It's His, not mine. And notice what was happening here. They, they sold their possessions. Nobody asked them to do it. And the reason they laid it at the apostles' feet, don't come lay money at my feet. If you want to give a check to something, I'll give it, and I'll give it to the finance team, okay? But these were apostles, and at that time, God was using them to organize and establish the infant church. And so here you had a guy named Barnabas. And this guy named Barnabas was from a Levite um, um, genealogy. From what? Clan. Yeah, the Levite clan. And Levites technically were not supposed to own a whole lot. So we don't know or own anything. So we don't know if, if, if um, Barnabas inherited that or what have you. And we don't know. But Barnabas had this piece of land and he sold it. And you know what he did? And nobody said he had to do this. He took the, the money he got from the sale, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, giving it to the work of the Lord for God's purpose. That's what God laid upon his heart, that he wasn't, he wasn't forced into giving anything. And when we are united as a church, doing God's work, grace is at work in us, that's what happens. We're just givers. You know, you know what's amazing? This year is the first year that we didn't have to crawl and scramble and claw for every dime to, to send a team to Belize on a mission trip. You know what? They worked. They raised money. They earned it. They had more than enough, and they came back with money because you are amazing givers, and you don't do it by compulsion because grace is at work in you. And then, the final thing here. Grace at work. 
basically when grace is at work, no one is going without their basic needs met. Their basic needs. Look at what it says. It says here, verse 34, that there were no needy persons among them. What that means is that because of the special dynamics that were happening there, there were some people that weren't able to go to work right now until they were turned back home. But for whatever reason, they, they were all in Jerusalem. They weren't leaving yet. And some of them had a need to eat because they didn't have the means to provide for themselves beyond what they came to Jerusalem with at the time. And so people got together and took care of the basic needs of other people at that moment in time. It's not saying that people should be given stuff while other people work and, should, uh, and other people sh- uh, you know, don't need to work. Right? But the principle is that there are times in church life where people need help meeting a basic need. Food, clothing, shelter. And there are times you say, well, pastor, don't we live in a day where people take advantage of you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, the Bible tells us. And we need to be careful how we use God's money. And there are some people who don't have needs, they have wants, and they want the church to pay for it. And that's not right. Correct? So, no one went without their basic needs being met. No egos, no division, no compulsive giving. Everybody had their needs met. That's grace at work. They had their spiritual needs met by the apostles who were being led of the Lord to speak God's Word to them and teach. They had their physical needs met. God always provides those things. But here's the point I want to end with. So you see this beautiful thing happening. You see power at work. You see unity. You know, you see people meeting the needs. You see the gospel being presented powerfully. You see all of this stuff happening. But the very next chapter, something happens. Very next chapter. You have Barnabas and others who are unnamed, selling houses, doing all that, giving the money. Then something happens in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. A a man and a woman named Ananias and Sapphira. And sin entered into the equation. There's nothing that will kill the power of God like sin in our lives. You and I need to make sure that we're not the ones stopping the power of God in our church because of personal sin. We all have a responsibility to live for the Lord and to live clean lives. We're Christians. You have that responsibility, and I do too. We want the power of God to be evident in our lives and in our church. Now listen, just like this early church experienced sin, we're going to experience sin, but it doesn't mean that we can't attain or strive to attain these principles and to have this oneness. And we experience that from time to time, don't we? 
We experience some of these things we just talked about. And it's glorious, isn't it? It's what makes you want to be a part of a church. It's what makes you want to come back. It's what makes you want to, to give of yourself and to be part of a body, to do something collectively together that's larger than us ourselves, and to meet the needs of our community in, in spiritual ways, and physical ways, and to preach the truth, and to be that local church where we are, for God's glory and God's purpose. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be part of that. And those things happen when these principles are adhered to. But there's no perfect church. I've had people over the years tell me, Pastor, I, I'm leaving church. And, you know, we got this wrong with our church and we got that wrong with our church. And got, mm-hmm, I'm, I'm listening. Yep, you're right. You're right, we do. Yeah, I want to find a church as this or that, and that's, I get that, and I understand there are times that, you know, you need to find a better fit. That, that, that works sometimes, and that's the deal. But there are other times people are like, you know, it's almost like they're looking for a perfect church. And my advice to them is, well, when you find it, don't join it. Because you will defile it. Because you're not perfect. I had one lady years ago, she's, she's going on to be with the Lord in a previous church in Georgia. She, uh, she, boy, she had to have this meeting with me. And I was in my 20s, young pastor, and she was bent out of shape. And she had an issue with a couple of people, and she was actually right about the attitudes that those people had. And her issue was, our church just isn't loving like it should be. It needs to be. But here's, here's a blind spot that she had. She was mean too. And she couldn't see it. She was right about the others. They were mean and being mean and hateful and ugly. But she was mean. And she went on and went on and I listened and she goes, you know, so, I mean, she was just frustrated and laying it all out. And I listened and I said, hey, look. Here's the advice I give you. You know how we can have a much better and loving church? And boy, she leaned in a little bit. I said, you know, let me tell you. I'll tell you how. Listen. You be more loving. She goes, that's not what I came here for. I said, you got what you needed, not what you wanted. And that's the truth. So if we all have that attitude... If you want your church to be a certain way, you be that. And watch God work in power. But it's got to be tied to biblical principles. Don't you love and long for the power of God moving in our hearts and lives? Don't you love going to church and man, we sense the presence of God in that place sort of like what i said today when i was up there and i heard your that was a god moment for me that i had i i it's like listening to a heavenly choir i'm telling you you know some of you may may have bad voices you know coach and i we think we're pretty good but 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 all of us together it comes out and it's it's a glorious sound and i experienced power of god today i want to be a part of a church like that power in action let's stand together everybody heavenly father thank you that we can see the evident results the actual results of your power 
We can read about it. And we can experience it in our lives today. I thank you for this church that at times we are bathing in these principles. And at other times we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else in this church about attitude, selfishness, lack of spiritual focus. And so, Father, I pray today that as we've seen the, the gold standard for what a church is to be, how we can experience your power, Help us to be that church. Help me to be that pastor. And help us to grow together as one so that the world may know that Jesus is the Christ and their lives would be changed gloriously. So as God has spoken to your heart, I'm going to challenge you to obey Him, follow Him, come pray at this altar, make a public decision, present yourself as candidates for baptism like these two young men did just recently weeks ago and then we baptized them maybe God's leading you to be a part of this church and say you know I want to I want to be part of the solution until Jesus comes back or until he takes me home to be part of a church trying to attain to these goals these standards so that Jesus can be glorified you let God lead you, you need prayer you want us to pray with you We'll pray with you. Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our team leads us, you follow.